grab one as we wrap up. Uh, Crossroads, our study uh, on how to make right decisions or how to make good decisions, uh, will be on turn seven tonight. So Crossroads, turn number seven. So if you've uh, been with us on the journey or maybe uh, you've missed a couple nights, you can always go online, uh, michaelmemorial.org, and uh, you can pull up uh, the lessons that you missed, and uh, you'll be able to listen to the parts that you missed. And so basically what we've done over the last seven weeks is we've gone through uh, the strategy or the process, if you will, of how to make right decisions. You know, we all, we all face with decisions really every single day, and uh, some decisions we uh, think are bigger than others, but every decision lead us, leads us in a specific direction. And so tonight uh, really is just a summary of all the things that we've talked about uh, over the last seven weeks as we conclude our study here uh, in Crossroads. Now, uh, starting next Wednesday... So in just a couple of days, we'll dive into a new study on Wednesday nights uh, and Sunday nights. It'll be on the book of Joshua. So if you, if you like the Battle of Jericho, uh, we'll be in Joshua for the next few weeks. And so uh, make sure you come on Wednesday and Sunday nights. Of course, Wednesday nights and Sunday nights are duplicated uh, so that you can be in a discipleship group uh, one of those nights if you choose to be. Uh, so Wednesday night, we'll start Joshua. So if you have uh, you've been waiting for that, well, now's your time, right? So... As we jump into number seven, uh, crosswords number seven, we'll talk about really tonight will be a summation of a lot of what we've talked about over the last several weeks. And so I hope to put a, you know, a lot of this in perspective for you. And the way that I, I will attempt to do that tonight is by giving you an illustration from Scripture of how a particular person in Scripture took all the information that we've talked about and they applied it to their life and you'll see the outcome of how that works. And so as we think about making these decisions, I know I was chatting earlier, uh, you know, there's decisions that are always coming up in our life. Now, we may, you know, we coin decisions as big decisions or large decisions like, uh, you know, we, we talk about jobs or uh, houses, locations where we live, cities that we live, uh, marriage. Those are big, big decisions that we make in life. But then there's also, you know, what we call smaller decisions, you know, such as, you know, we joked about where to eat for lunch or uh, you know, which direction to take, uh, you know, so all of those things in our life have implications though, so whether it be a big decision or it be a small decision, they all have implications, and so a few weeks ago I made the comment uh, that every decision will lead you either closer to or farther away from God, so whatever decision it is that you make, big, small, or in the middle, it's going to lead you in a direction, so you're heading, you're heading somewhere, you're either heading towards God uh, or you're heading uh, away from God. Now, as we have opportunity to make those decisions, a lot of times what we do is, is we really, you know, we get worked up, right? So we, we get stressed sometimes about, well, I want to do the right thing. I want to make a decision that will honor God, or I want to do God's will. I want to go the direction uh, that He would have for me to go. And so as we endeavored on this study, we talked about uh, the sovereign will of God and the decreed will, the will that will happen, uh, what God has uh, commanded that will happen. And we said that in the sovereign will of God, that most often, if not all the time, but we'll say most often, that the sovereign will of God is realized or recognized for us as a believer in the rearview mirror. So in other words, if you're in D group right now, you've been reading through Joseph's life. And next week, you know, you'll get to Genesis chapter 50. And Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50, hey, all that stuff you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because God had a sovereign plan, right? So he, had an, he knew what the end result of Joseph's life would be, although Joseph was sold in slavery and 
He was accused of something he didn't do, and he was forgotten. And all of those things happened. Why? Because God had a plan. God had a sovereign plan. Now, it, Joseph wasn't sitting in prison uh, for those few years thinking, this is amazing. I'm just right in the middle of God's will, and I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. No, he, you know, certainly there were moments in that to where he was like, okay, what's going on here? How's this working out? But God's sovereign will, God's ultimate plan would be displayed, and again, most oftentimes, that's discovered as we look in the rearview mirror, we look back over life. Now, the moral will of God is something that we do every single day. It's the decisions that we get to make. It's the free will that we're all familiar with that God allows us to make the decision. And so the moral will of God are the decisions that we make every single day to say, well, am I going to obey the will of God? Am I going to love the Lord my God uh, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Am I going to love my neighbor as myself? You know, we'll get to next week in John chapter 15 to love one another. And so as we talk about the commands of Scripture, well, that's considered the moral will of God. And so we, wanna, we want to accomplish that. So here's the question that we'll start with tonight is, if you knew the sovereign will of God, which again, we said that that is discovered by looking in the rearview mirror, but if we were capable of knowing that up front, would we do it? Okay, so if we were Joseph, and we'll just use him tonight as an example, and, and we're hanging out with our brothers, and we know that we're going to be sold into, uh, you know, to trade, and then we're going to be, he'd be sold into Egypt, into uh, Pharaoh's court, and then we're going to be accused, and then we're going to be put in prison. If we know those things, especially the bad thing, now, of course, if we know the good things, everybody's going to say, sign me up, I'll take that right now. But if it's the bad things, right, then we say, well, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not so sure I want to do that. So, you see, knowing the will of God and doing the will of God can be two separate things. And so, the first blank on your listening guide is 95% of knowing the will of God consists of being prepared to do it before you know what it is. So, it's been uh, relayed from the pulpit uh, as the blank check, Right? That God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm writing, I'm giving you a blank check. I'm signing my name at the bottom. And whatever the value or the cost of this decision is, I'm in. Cash it. I'll do it. Now that's a big thing to say, right? I mean, that's a hard pill to swallow if we say, well, just whatever it is, carte blanche, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do that. And so 95% of knowing the will of God consists in us being prepared to do it. So on your handout, you see the verse that Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is, why we, through, that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. So the promises of God are found in the yes, in that we say, okay, Lord, I'll do that which you want me to do. Now what is it that you want me to do? And so that's part of knowing the will of God is that we're willing to do that. So again, if you knew the sovereign will of God up front, beforehand, and you knew it would be very difficult, then you may try to prevent that. I might try to, you know, curb that or to change that. And so in order for us to make the right decision, we've got to be willing to do what it is that God calls us to do. Now, here's the deal. Going God's way, doing what God calls us to do, well, that's going to involve taking risks. Now, we want it easy and we want it safe and we want it comfortable, but if we say we want to follow God, well, what does that look like? Well, our idea of what it is to follow God and God's idea of what it is to follow God could potentially be two different things if we're not walking with God. 
And so it will involve that you take some risks, that you probably, you know, I, I was nice and put, you may encounter difficulty, you probably will. If you're following after God, there's going to be some tough things that you're going to encounter, okay? I mean, let's just think about the greatest example in the Son of God, Jesus, and He's in the garden, right? He's facing a very difficult task, which is to physically be crucified, And he says, if there's any other way for this to happen, let it be. But nevertheless, your will be done. And so Jesus said, I know this is going to be difficult. But I know what your will is, and so I will follow through with that because I want to be obedient because Jesus was perfect. And so following Jesus will involve us taking risks. We're going to encounter difficulty, and it it probably won't turn out the way that you think it will. You know, I've shared this before, but you know, years ago, I used to be, in my mind, things were a puzzle. And I'm still defragging from some of that. And that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to say, okay, well, if this happens, well, then this will happen, and then this will happen. And so it all works together, and I wanted to, to see all of that. And I wanted to, you know, pretend that I had some type of involvement, but you know what? I don't, nor do you. And so if we want to start putting these pieces together, well, then what becomes is we begin to trust ourselves And we begin to follow our own desire and leading opposed to following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, when we follow after Jesus and we pursue the will of God, it's probably not going to end the way that we think it should. And so when we say we want to know the will of God, we've got to be willing to do that which it is that God calls us to do. And it's going to, you know, it's going to be difficult sometimes. So a lot of times what happens is we might second guess ourselves. You ever done that? You made a decision and then you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that. Well, I've been there, you've been there, we've all been there before. And so what happens in those moments? Well, a lot of times when we begin to second-guess ourselves, we give a half effort, right? Well, you know, this wasn't the best option, and so we'll just see what happens. Well, you'll notice uh, that a lot of times a second-best decision that we make, and so, well, you know, this is, I'm not sure if this, quote, first-best decision will work, and so I'm just going to pursue this second-best decision. Well, a second-best decision that's diligently pursued will often beat a first best decision that is not diligently pursued. In other words, what, what effort are you putting forth? You know, a lot of, there, we talked about this uh, earlier in the study, but we talked about fatalism. We talked about how, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, it was just fate. You hear that in the world today? Well, it just happened because it was just fate. And it was going to happen regardless of what I did. And so we become passive bystanders, uh, bystanders in, the, uh, in the will of God. Well, that's not the design of God. God certainly has a sovereign will in which He will do what He's going to do irregardless of our activity. But then as He created us to be a part of His plan, there's the moral will to which God engages and uses us in His plan. And so we're active participants in that. And so we can't just simply say, okay, now I know what it is that God wants me to do, and so I'm not going to do anything and God will just work it out. Well, that's not how the will of God works. And so we've got to be diligent in our part of following after or pursuing God, which is hence why we have commands in Scripture. And so this is the advantage oftentimes of people who are convinced that God has led them into a particular activity. So I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago that uh, I felt God had called me to go to seminary, to uh, biblical studies. Uh, And so I said, well, okay. Here's the decision that I have to make. I've got to choose a seminary, okay? And so uh, the illustration that I gave was that there are several Baptist seminaries uh, across the United States. There's eight or ten of them. 
And uh, if you go to one of those Baptist seminaries, they subsidize your tuition. And so the, the uh, Southern Baptist Convention gives money to the school, which reduces your uh, cost to go to the school because it's SBC-sponsored. And so I easily, because I live in Mississippi, could have said, well, New Orleans is closest. I'll just go there. Uh, but I had been going to, I'd done my undergrad at Liberty University, and so I felt, you know, I've got a relationship with them, and so I'll go to Liberty and check it out. And so all the pieces of the puzzle, if you will, came to play, and God worked it out to where I got a full scholarship uh, to Liberty University, and so I said, you know what, I'm going to go to Liberty University. And so I went to Liberty University. Now, if I would have gone to New Orleans, or, you know, I visited Southeastern in uh, North Carolina, uh, if I would have gone to Southeastern in North Carolina, would that have been wrong? No. Remember, we, uh, Pastor Tony mentioned, I believe it was last week, that there's a line of freedom uh, that if it's not forbidden in Scripture or commanded in Scripture, that God gives me the opportunity to make that decision. And so I could have easily gone to New Orleans or Southeastern Bible College or Dallas or you know, Kentucky. There's a lot of places I could have gone. And that wouldn't necessarily have been the wrong thing to do. But God used the opportunity to guide me to go to Liberty. Now, when I felt that God had called me to go to Liberty and we made that decision, Guess what was going to stop us from going to Virginia? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, we, we were, we were com, uh, committed that we're going. Now, you know, there was people that, uh, are you sure? You know, hey, if your house doesn't sell, are you moving? Yes. Guess what? Our house didn't sell. I mean, who would have ever guessed that, right? The enemy's trying to stop that. And so we just said, well, we're going to go. And so the house didn't sell, and you know, I shared with you that you know, our finances didn't work out, and so we basically went up there with hardly any money, and uh, here we are, no job, no house, nowhere to live, have no idea what we're doing, but we do know one thing. We know that God called us, and that God is faithful. So we're just going to follow Him, and wherever that leads, that's where it's going to lead. And I, you know, I shared the story about that Tuesday night, that we were down to zero dollars, and we needed a thousand dollars for that month. And so that Tuesday night, we prayed with a group of friends, and uh, I prayed, uh, you know, here's what I told my friends. Look, God called me all the way up here. I'm a 1,000 miles from home. God didn't call me all the way up here to follow my face. I'm here following Him. So He's going to have to do something. So that was on Tuesday night. On Friday, you know the story. Melanie came. She had checked the mail. She came in to the house. She was out of breath. She had been running from the mailbox. And she says, you're never going to guess what happened. And she showed me an envelope from a lady who had written a check to us for $1,000. And the check was dated that Tuesday that we had prayed at CeCe's Pizza that God would do something, and He did. So we were committed that, God, whatever it is that you want us to do, we're going. Have you ever been that way about a decision? House didn't sell, I'm still moving. I, you know, I'm not sure, you know, I, we just, there was all these outside things, you know, hey, this is not working, that's not working. But I knew one thing, that God called me and that He was faithful. So I said, I'm going. And so when we, when we pursue the will of God, we've got to be in. In other words, you can't dance around on the decision on the outskirts and say, well, God, I want to follow you, and you've got to make it clear. God, whatever it is you want me to do, just show me, just show me, God. And then God says, okay, here you go. This is what I want you to do. And then we're like, I'm not, I don't like that choice. That's not following God. 
You follow it? The will of God is not a buffet. You don't get to pick and choose which parts that you want to follow. So you're either in or you're not, right? So you've got to, so you've got to be committed to doing that. And so people, this is the advantage that people have in following God. So you see people that do radical things for God. You see people that do amazing things for God. Those people are committed not to the decision. Listen here. They're not committed to the decision. They're committed to the one who is the decider. And so they say, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, I'm going to follow you. And so I'm wholeheartedly committed to the decision in which I feel like the decider led me to make. And so in your life, you've got to say, I'm in, God. Whatever it is you call me to do, I want to follow you. The whole morning we talked, Pastor Tony talked this morning about what? About growing and it's being connected to the vine and the nutrients. No, no tree blocks the nutrients from the vine and says, no, you know, I don't want those nutrients today. No, that's not how that works. They're not in control. Nor are you and I. God is in control. And we've got to say, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, the promises of God are found in the yes. And so you see people do things for the Lord wholeheartedly. It's because they are committed to the activity that God has called them to. And so they usually give themselves 100%. They're in. They're in, whatever it is. If it, if it sounds crazy to the world, and we'll, we'll see the process of decision-making here in just a second that we've talked about, but if we've gone through the process of decision-making, consulting the Word of God, getting godly counsel, what are my desires, well, then God gives me the opportunity to make a decision, and then I've got to commit to that. I've got to commit to that. I've got to be wholehearted about what it is that God calls me to do. And so the thing that wins in those situations is simply determination. It's determination. You can't approach the things of God half-heartedly. That's not how God works. You've got to be determined to say, God, I'm going to follow whatever you tell me to do. That's what I'm going to do. And so the pursuit of that decision may be more important than the decision itself. That you're, you're committed, you're into that decision, and you're going to follow through with it. Now, you may say, well, hang on just a second, time out. Well, it depends on what the decision is. Well, no, if you follow the process of godly decision-making, then you're okay to, to say that right there. You're okay to say that I'm just going to pursue the decision that I made because the decision that I made was based on principles of God's Word, which, again, we'll sum, uh, summarize here in a second. So if, you, if your decision is based on these principles, then you're free to say that. And so when a decision looks good from several different perspectives, then it's usually your best decision. It normally happens that way. Uh, you, have you ever, you've all had decisions to make, and uh, have, have you ever noticed that in those decisions that it's normally two or three that you have to make, right? So if, you, uh, you know, if you're buying a house and you, you'll find two or three, or you're applying for a job, then all of a sudden you've got two or three interviews, right? It's never just one. It, it's always these multiple. And so the question is, well, which one is the right one? Well, you get the opportunity to make that choice. You see, oftentimes in the Bible, so we look to scriptures for guidance and we say, well, you know, we want to know what it is that God wants us to do. Well, you'll notice in the New Testament that the, the God guided the New Testament believers in personal decisions only, I should have underlined only, only when such decisions related to the ministry of the gospel. So how does this build the kingdom? How will this affect, the, you know, my walk with the Lord? How will this lead me closer to Jesus? How will this lead 
other people closer to Jesus? Those are the answers that we should be answering, right? Those are the, the, the questions that we should be answering. But a lot of times when we make personal decisions, uh, we're making personal decisions for personal reasons. And so we're not involving or engaging in that moment the, the, the part or the aspect that, well, how does this apply with the gospel? Or how does this uh, collaborate with the gospel? You see, everything that God does in your life, 100% of it, has to do with the furtherance of the kingdom of God. It's not for personal comfort. It's not that, you know, the GDP of the United States would be greater than any other nation. God doesn't do those things for those reasons. God does things for one reason, and that's for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is for His glory. And so when we make decisions, those decisions should always be wrapped in how it affects and how the gospel plays into that. And so you don't see God uh, intervening in the personal decisions unless it is part of furthering the gospel. And so God's revelation and His guidance always has to do with ministry and the moving of God in the world. So it's always related to how God is moving and where God is moving and what God is doing and how God is doing it. And so we're going to look at a situation here with Paul in the book of Romans. And we're going to apply everything that we've learned over the last few weeks to the life of Paul and see how Paul related in those situations. So you'll see on your listening guide, Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 8 through 15. So Paul writes, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. So Paul is writing to the church at Rome and he says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you. Always, verse 10 in my prayers, asking that somehow, now I underline this here for you, that somehow by God's will, so Paul is pursuing God's will, that I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So as we know, Paul's desire was to get to Rome. He wanted to see uh, the church at Rome. He says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And so what Paul is doing here is that he's trying, he's saying, hey, listen, I want to get to Rome. I'm trying to get to you because I want to encourage you. I want to build up your faith. He says that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, verse 13, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you. So Paul says, listen, don't be mistaken. I want to see you. And I underline for you, but thus far have been prevented So Paul has been prevented from going to Rome as he writes this letter in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so Paul's starting out the greatest theological treatise that we know in the book of Romans. And he says, hey, look, I want to come see you guys, but so far it just hasn't worked out. Is there things in your life that you've wanted to do, right? Things maybe that you've pursued that just didn't work out, that you were prevented from doing for some reason? Well, Paul's writing this same situation here. Hey, church at Rome, I want to come see you. I want to encourage you. I want to be encouraged by you. But I hadn't been able to do that yet. I've been prevented. So how did that happen? Well, in Romans chapter 15, this is what Paul writes. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, 
by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So I don't have an illustration on the board, but I'm hoping that I can illustrate it with my hands here. So here's where Paul uh, is in Jerusalem, all right? So the church at, uh, we see with Antioch, uh, Pastor Tony preached a couple weeks ago about Antioch. And so uh, the church at Jerusalem is thriving. And so Paul they, uh, and Acts, uh, Barnabas goes down as, they, as the church is dispersed. And remember, as Pastor Tony talked about, with make him known on the fourth step of the path, uh, that Barnabas goes down and he gets Paul. Now remember, Paul had been uh, in, you know, being led by or seminarily led by the Spirit of God in the desert. And so he, Barnabas goes down and gets him and he brings him to Antioch. All right, and so then they began to send them out, just like uh, you know we talked about the book of Acts is where the gospel starts to spread. And so as the churches are beginning to multiply in Berea and Thessalonica, and Paul is going to these different places, so what does Paul do? Well, he starts down here in Jerusalem, and then he goes up, and so if you look at a map, you'll see where Paul goes up in his missionary journeys, and then he cuts across Asia, and you see Thessalonica's up here, and then this is Illyricum over here, and so you see that he follows all the way around to where his destination is. He said, I want to get to you. Well, Jerusalem's over here, Italy, Rome is over here, so he says, hey, look, I want to get there, but there's some things I'm going to do in the process, which we're about to get to, so he says, I wanted to come and to see you, I wanted to get there, uh, but he, he mentions in Romans 1 that he had been prevented, so in verse 20, he says, I make it my ambition, and, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, and so he said, God called me for what? Personally, I want to see you in Rome, Okay? But God has called me. What did God call me to do? God didn't call me to be a great tent maker. That's not what he's saying here, although God used it in his life. He says, God called me to preach the gospel where? Not where Christ has already been named. So when we go to Brazil, if you ever get a chance to go, you should sign up and go to Brazil. Every time we go to Brazil, here's what we do. The mission of Brazil is to plant new churches. Every single time we go to Brazil, this is what we want to do. We go back and we do what Paul wanted to do in Romans chapter 1. We meet with the churches that we've already planted. So we go to Villanova and Jacare and Sodeos and uh, Jeju. And we, we go to uh, Ogadago. We visit all these places that we've already been, that we've planted. There, like Villanova, 75% of the village has come to know Christ because of the church that's been planted there. God's doing amazing things there. And so through the church planting, we started in Jacare. That was all we had. And then guess what happened? They began to branch out. We led them in leading to meet these other places, to, to find these other places, to spread the gospel of these other places. And so in doing so, we, Jacques Array takes the gospel and they're spreading it out. And where are they going? We're not going where the assembly churches are. We're not, if, there's a, if there's a church that's in the village, guess we're, we're going to keep going. But we stop in the places where there's no gospel presence. And so uh, when we went to uh, Sodeos, we walked, you know, a couple miles to get in, and, you know, it took us a bus drive and a little bit of a way to get there. And so how did we do that, or why did we do that? We wanted to go somewhere. Our mission is to go where the gospel is not. And so every time that we go, it would be very easy and very heartwarming to go and spend all of our time in Jacare. And, and I mean, they, they love us, and we love them, and it's an amazing time to spend with them. But guess what? Paul said what? It is my ambition to preach the gospel. And so the objective, when we go to Brazil, and it's the same thing with all missions, but when we go to Brazil, is we want to find where the gospel is not. 
So if you ever go to Brazil, you will be living out Romans chapter 15 because we're finding new villages and we're riding motos for two or three hours. We're walking through the jungle. We're riding in canoes. We're riding buses. We're doing whatever it takes to get to places that most people don't even know, but God knows. Because Sodeos, you know what it stands for? Only God. And you know why it's called Sodeos? Because they say that only God knows where they live. And that's pretty true. And so if you, if you see kind of what Paul is talking about here, we get the opportunity to live that today. And so Paul says, my ambition is to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Listen, it is not your job, listen to this, it is not your job to, crea- uh, to correct someone's theology. You're not going to lead someone to Christ because you defeat them in an argument about the facts. That's not going to happen. Paul says, listen, you, want to, you don't want to build on someone else's foundation. You just want to tell them who Jesus is. And so if you want to reach a coworker, or a friend or a neighbor, it's not going to be by defeating their facts. It's going to be showing them how amazing the gospel of Jesus is as you live it. And Paul says, look, my ambition is to preach it where nobody else has been. But he says, as it's written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard him or heard will understand. So then he tells us why he's been hindered. Verse 22, this is why, this is the reason why I've been so often hindered from coming to you. Because Paul's been busy with the gospel. It's not that Satan is putting up these walls or sending things to attack him or whatever you may say. Certainly he faced spiritual warfare. But he says, the reason that I have been hindered from coming to you is because I've been busy with the gospel. He says, but now, since I no longer have any work in these regions, so in other words, I've reached as much as I can reach since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing. Now, he didn't say, I hope to come and retire. Nope, that's not what he said. He says, I hope to come and see you in passing. Why? Because he's still on mission for the gospel. So as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions. So he's still engaged in the ministry uh, for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Verse 27, for they were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I've completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. So when I leave there, I'm going to come see you. Now, you look at the map, it's a long way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So here we see that Paul desired to do something. He wanted to go to Rome. His ambition was to preach the gospel. And so he says... I'm going to come see you. I'm I'm going to make it. So I want to point out just three real quick things here uh, that I think are foundational for decision decision making, and they have absolutely nothing to do with the decision themselves. Number one, Paul was walking in the Spirit. In chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you. Paul was walking with God. The very first step to making a decision is are you walking with God? It's not what is the the decision. It's not what are the choices. It's are you walking with God? Are you in relationship with God? Are you, as Pastor Tony mentioned this morning, is it personal? 
Are you engaged in interaction with God? So Paul was walking in the Spirit. He was being led by the Spirit of God. He writes in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit of God prays the things for us that we don't even know we ought to pray, that He wants to follow uh, the Spirit of God. He writes in Romans chapter 7 that the things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things that I do want to do, sometimes that I don't. And I, I want to be led by the Spirit. I don't want to be led by the flesh. So Paul is engaged in his walk with Christ. So he's walking in the Spirit. Number two, he is recognizing the sovereignty of God. He knows that God has a plan, and he's not questioning that. Look, look what he writes here in Romans 15, 22. This is the reason why I've been so hindered from coming to you. He says, hey, God has, has, has kept me busy. I've been engaged in ministry. I've been reaching uh, the different areas of, of this uh, you know, landscape that God has put before me. And so I've just been busy doing God's work. And he's okay with that. Again, it would have been easy for him to hop on a ship and you know, beeline across to Rome. But he didn't do that because God had a mission for him. It had, he had activity for him. And he was okay with God's will working out that way. He says, for many years I'd come, I'd hoped to come to see you, but I haven't been there yet. So Paul's walking in the Spirit. If we want to make the right decision, we've got to be walking with God. We've got to trust the sovereignty of God. And number three, we've got to pray for wisdom and for guidance. We've got to go to God first. So what Paul writes in Romans 1. Again, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of His Son. And how does He do it? That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to see you. So how's he finding the will of God? In prayer. He's spending time in communication with God. He's asking, uh, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? How is it that you want me to do that? And so with that, I want to give you the disciple uh, making, or the decision making rather, the decision making path. So hopefully you can keep this, and you know, here's a, a, a summation of all that we've talked about over the last few weeks of how do you make a good decision? How do you make the right decision? Well, the first thing that we look at as written on your listening guide is, well, what does the Bible say about it? What does the Bible say about it? You know, we talked uh, you know, last week, I think it was, that a lot of times we have a decision to make. And so we go to the Word of God, and so you, you flip open your Bible, and you flip to the back, and, and you look up uh, life decisions, right? Because it's back there. And, uh, and you see, you know, life decision, and then under that is all these subtopics, you know, uh, jobs, marriage, house, uh, work, you know, all these different things. No, of course not. And so the question is, well, what does God's Word say about it? You see, that oftentimes you're, when you are faced with a decision, when I'm faced with a decision, we're not going to hop to the concordance and look up, you know, this specific situation, right? But what we are going to find is general principles that we apply to that. And so what we've got to look at is what are our motives in that. So we've got to know what God's Word says so we can measure our motives against that. And so you see with Paul, well, in Romans chapter 1, what Paul was doing is he wanted to serve the Lord in verse 9. His desire was what? To be a part of what God was doing. He wanted to use his spiritual gifts. So he's not, he's not saying, God, give me uh, an opportunity. Give me the answer to the decision that will most elevate or uh, magnify me. But he's saying, I want to use my gifts for the kingdom so that it will encourage other people, verse 12. And ultimately, and again, as was mentioned this morning, so that he would bear fruit. 
think it's worth repeating that bearing fruit is always for someone else. A tree, there's no tree that consumes its own fruit. Bearing fruit is always for someone else. And that's what Paul is saying here, is that I want to know what God says about it. Well, God says that I I should serve the Lord. He's using His gifts. He's encouraging others. And as a result of that, being connected to the vine, if you will, He is bearing fruit. That God is working in His life. He's wanting to make the right decision, but in the process of doing that, God is using Him in other areas. And so these are all the things that uh, God commands a Christian to do. So again, are you walking with God? You want to make the right decision? Well, you've got to start with the foundation of that, and that is, are you walking with God? Are you engaged in a relationship with God the Father? And so Paul says, hey, I'm serving the Lord. I want to be engaged in what God is doing, and the very first step for me is that I've got to be in relationship. I've got to be connected to the vine." And so these are all things, again, that you and I are commanded to do, that Paul was commanded to do. And so in the, in the interim, as he waits for that decision, he's doing what he already knows he's supposed to be doing. And so God instructed Paul to do what? To preach the gospel where it had not been heard. So he's preaching in Berea and Thessalonica. Remember he gets to, uh, in Acts chapter 17, he gets to Athens I love that part because he gets to Athens and, and uh, he finds the, the statue or the, uh, the altar to the unknown God. Remember that part in Acts 17? And so he, uh, he gets the opportunity to stand before all the smart people and he says, hey, well, look, that uh, altar to the unknown God, that's who I'm here to talk to you about. I love that part. He says, I'm here to tell you about that altar to the unknown God that you don't know about. And so he begins to to tell them about Jesus and about the gospel and and who Jesus is. And he's taking the gospel, somewhere in Acts 17, to the effect says that I'm here to know him and to make him known. And so he's there to spread the gospel of of the command that Jesus gave him. So in the process of going to where he wants to go, again, Rome, he says, I'm going to be engaged in what I already know, to preach the gospel where it has never been heard. And so he's doing what he already knows to be true about God. So the same thing can be said about us, decisions that we face every day. The question, of course, is, well, what's the right decision? And we want to answer that question. But there's also these other questions that always surround that decision, and those are, am I walking with God? Am I spending time in the Word? Am I engaged in ministry? Am I, doing, am I edifying the kingdom of God? You see, God had not told him when to do that in a specific area. Remember, he told him to preach the gospel where it had not been heard. But he didn't tell him when to do it. Right? He didn't say, uh, on, you know, all right, here, Paul, this is what I want you to do. In this time frame, you know, in the late 40s, here's what I want you to be. In, in the early 50s, this is what I want you to do. That's what we want from God, right? We want God to lay out our life in, in steps. And okay, you know, for the next five years, you'll do this. And then this, but that's not how it works. And it's the same with Paul. God didn't say, all right, here, Paul, this is when I want you to go to Thessalonica. Paul, this is when I want you to go to Corinth. Paul, this, no, he didn't give him that. He says, preach the gospel where it's never been heard. And then he didn't tell him what a specific place, and he didn't say what order, and he didn't say what stops along the way. You don't read that anywhere. He says, I want you to preach the gospel where it's never been heard. And so he's obeying what he already knows to be true about what God has said. And so what happened with Paul is that Paul crossed what we talked about last, a couple weeks ago, the line of freedom. And it was left up to Paul to use wisdom and desire to make the decision. So the Word of God always trumps every 
other decision-making tool in your life. All the time, 100%, it's never different. The Word of God is always the very first thing that you consult. What is it that the Word of God says? Okay, well, the Word of God doesn't specifically address the situation. What does it say about the motivation? What does it say about the attitude of the decision that I'm about to make? The Word of God. What does the Word of God say? Always will be the very first thing that you should consult. It was the very first thing that Paul said is, what does God say? He said, here am I, I, I'm Paul. I want to go to Rome. God said to preach the gospel. I've got to obey him first. Now, I may be preaching the gospel on the way to Rome, which is what we see Paul did, but number one, what does the Bible say? Paul was given freedom of which churches to go and which order to go. And so what he did is he says, number two, well, what's the wisest thing to do? So on your handout, you see, what does the Bible say? Number two, well, what is the wisest thing to do? And so Paul then consulted wisdom, okay? Now, wisdom, uh, you know, we are certainly blessed here at Michael Memorial because there's a lot of wise people here. There's a lot of people that have been walking with God for a long time that we have the opportunity and the blessing to say, hey, I'm considering making this decision and I need some counsel. And a wise counselor will say this. Number one, they'll say, what does the Word of God say about it, right? That's where we're going to start. And then number two, we're going to start talking about the, the, the circumstances of that decision. And we're going to start thinking through that. Well, what is the wisest thing to do? And so we're going to use experience. Remember, we talked about a wise counselor. And what does a wise counselor do? Well, a wise counselor, uh, number one, wants to honor God in what they do. Number two, uh, they, you want someone who's had previous experience in your situation so you can count on their wisdom, right? And number three, you want to, uh, to ask someone or to get counsel from someone who has your best interest at heart. And so they're following Jesus, they're experienced, and they want what's best for you. And so when we go to wise counsel, we, got, we have the opportunity to say, here's what God's Word says, here's what I understand that to mean in my situation, and so here's the decision that I feel like God is leading me to do based on what the Word of God says and how I'm applying it to this situation. Mr. or Mrs. Counselor, what do you think about that? And so then we get an objective opportunity to get advice. What happens a lot of, I mean, let's just be honest. What happens a lot of times is we just say, I've got this decision to make, and this is what I want to do, and so this is what I'm going to do. And most of the time, we end up regretting those decisions. And so it just, just take a time out when you have a decision to make. We, we have, you know, when we think we have decisions to make, we think that the field is wide open and there, there are no barriers. But that's not the case. There are commands that we as believers follow in Scripture. There's principles that we abide by. And so the fence posts are a lot closer than you think they are. And so when when we realize what the principles of of godliness are, the principles of decision-making are, we can say, okay, well, based on what I know to be true about God, here's the, the things, the couple of ways that I think this could go, that God is leading me to go. And so based on those few things of what the Word says, Mr. or Mrs. Counselor, what do you think? That means that's why D group is so instrumental in the life. I mean, every time you talk to somebody who's engaged in a D group, what do they say? I have never been engaged in the Word of God like this before. And it is amazing to be able to do that with other people. 
I mean, ask anybody who's in a D group. They'll tell you the same thing. Is that you get the opportunity to take the Word of God and in your, uh, your effort to understand it, you get other people around you that help you to contextualize what God is really saying. And so you're not saying, what do I think the Word of God says? But together you're collectively learning simply what does the Word of God say. And so what's the wisest thing to do? Well, Paul says in Romans 1.13, that he had been prevented from coming to Rome. So we, we know that. We talked about that, right? So if he's been prevented from coming, well, we know the reason for that is that he was dispensing the gospel. He was spreading the gospel. And so in chapter 15 and verse 19, he mentions that the best way to reach the unreached was to work outward since this would be the easiest way. Look in 15 verse 19. By the power and wonders, uh, uh, the, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So he started at Jerusalem, right? That'd be the smartest thing to do. Huh, where am I at? I'm in Jerusalem. I should probably start here. And then he begins to preach the gospel, as he says, all the way around. So if you look at a map, he starts down here, and he goes all the way around to Rome. So what was the wisest thing to do? Well, it wasn't to hop on a ship and start zigzagging back and forth. That's not what he did. And so in verse 22 in chapter 15, he says, For this reason, in verse 24, he stopped in Rome uh, in, in hopes of garnering support for his mission to Spain, and, which again was on the way. And then in chapter 15, uh, verse 25 in chapter 15, he came back to Jerusalem to deliver the money that he had gathered for the poor. And so he used wisdom and said, what is the smartest thing for me to do here? So you, you notice there's not emotions involved in this. And the, Paul says, I wanted to come to Rome, but what did he do? He used wisdom. He, used, he obeyed. He used wisdom. And then number three, the question is, well, what do I want to do? So when we're making a decision, this is how it starts. What does God's Word say? What do wise counselors say? What do I want to do? So if you follow that line of thought, you will make good decisions. Now, you're not perfect, and so there's going to be times where we make bad decisions, even when we follow that. But if you follow that line of thought, you're going to have a much better chance of doing what it is that God wants you to do. And so what does God's Word say? What is the wisest thing? And number three, what do I want to do? And so Paul says this in Romans 1.11, For I long to see you, I want to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He had good intentions, right? It was a good motivation. But now since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, Paul says in uh, chapter 15, verse 23, uh, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, now he said, hey, I'm about to head that way. So now desire plays a part. I followed God, I used wisdom, and I preached in the areas where God had not been known. Now that that's done, he says in verse 23, I'm coming. So I just want to point out one thing about desire here. I want you to notice that wisdom was more important than desire in Paul's decision-making process. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked. If you start with desire, you're going to make the wrong decision. Because there's days where you feel... Like you could charge hell with a water pistol, right? And then there's days where you feel like you can't even, you know, show your face. Well, that, that doesn't change your, your identity in Christ doesn't change based on how you feel. 
And so, as was mentioned this morning, you know, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's no weapon formed against us shall prosper. No man can snatch you from the Father's hand. I mean, all of, all of the promises that we have from God, that we can't allow our desire, our, our desire, our emotions to be involved in the very first of our uh, decision-making. Now, God uses that. Delight yourself in the way of the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 37, 4. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. We know those verses, right? We know that God can use desire, and He does use desire, but it's never the very first thing that we use to make the decision. Because why? Because your desire will lead you astray. It's like going to McDonald's, right? At first, it seemed like a great idea to eat a Big Mac. And then about 20 minutes after eating the Big Mac, you realize that was a terrible idea. And so if we follow our emotions, why should they say never grocery shop hungry, right? You're going to buy a bunch of bad stuff. And so it's the same way. If we, if we have an immediate uh, decision to make and we go on desire, we're probably going to make the wrong decision. So what do I want to do? Well, that's based upon, you know how you can determine whether or not your desires are right or wrong is... It's the right desire if the intention is to honor God. It's the wrong desire if the intention is to elevate me. Simple as that. What is my desire? Well, if, if the outcome is going to elevate Matt, that's probably the wrong desire. If the outcome is desires to elevate Jesus, well, it's probably the right thing. So what do I want to do? So in conclusion, if you want to please the Lord, you'll find that many times the best decisions are also the hardest. That's how the devil wants it, right? He wants to trip you up. He wants to make you, you know, make the wrong decision, take the wrong path, do the wrong thing. That's his goal. The thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. The Bible says in Revelation, he's a, uh, the accuser of the brethren, right? He wants to do whatever he can to make you make the wrong decision, to regret your decision, to be ineffective for the kingdom of God. That's his goal. That's his objective. He's been doing it from day one. God didn't really say, right? From the very beginning, it's to cast doubt and to make us make mistakes and to go the wrong direction. That's his goal. But if you want to please the Lord, you'll find these decisions are hard to make. So it's not easy. You know, following this process and recipe doesn't make every decision just simple and easy. No, it doesn't. Following God is hard. I mean, as I said, you know, following, doing the will of God, oftentimes you'll take risk and it'll be difficult and it probably won't end the way that you and I think it will end. But it'll always be worth it. It'll always be worth it. So it requires hard work uh, of self-evaluation. So you've got to look at yourself and be honest with, you know, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for me or am I doing this to honor God? So, you know, it takes self-evaluation. It takes study, right? You've got to know what the Word of God says. And how do you do that? By spending time in the Word of God. So what does the Word of God say? Biblical study, and last but not least, is wisdom that is learned by experience. And so through experience, uh, either through your experience or the experience of the people that God put in the body that you are a part of, through the experience of those people, God can guide us in making those right decisions. And so the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And Amen. 2 Peter three eighteen. And so how is it? that we know uh, that we're following and we're growing, well, we're growing through grace and knowledge of Jesus. And so on the last page of your handout, I gave you several verses there uh, that you can reference back to when you have a decision to make. 
So like, you know, the first one, Psalms 32, 8, I will instruct and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. God promises that he will guide you, that he will instruct you, that he will give you the right decision that you need to make. And so there are several verses here that you can look back to and say, well, God, I'm going to follow you and your word promises that you'll guide me. And so based upon that, I can make the right decision. Well, I hope this was instructive for you. I hope you took some things uh, away that you'll be able to apply practically to your decision-making process. It's been a joy for me over the last seven weeks to endeavor on this study with you, and I'm looking forward to uh, the next week as we jump into Joshua. So I hope you have a great night tonight. Let me pray, and we'll be dismissed.